This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. I have a picture every day that I walk past of my great-grandmother and grandfather with seven of their 10 sons, and they actually survived the Depression. And so as I was sitting here going, hmm, this is an interesting conundrum we're in, not being able to be open, I thought, you know, what would Nana have done? And I thought, well, they figured it out. Hello, I'm Lindsay Christians. And I'm Chris Lay. This is The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. We're coming to you presently through the magic of two cans and a very, very long piece of string. Local restaurants had to adjust very quickly to Madisonians sheltering in place. Many now offer contact-free pickup of meals that we would obviously much rather eat sitting at the bar. Our guest this week is Dino Maniacci, an owner and chef at Divino, a new wine and chiquetti bar downtown. He's had some unique challenges. Divino wasn't even open for two weeks before they had to stop letting people in. Located on King Street next to Wolf's, Divino changed practically overnight from small Italian snacks paired with wine to comfort foods like meatball grinders, Italian sausage sandwiches, and take-and-bake pastas. Keep flattening that curve and give a listen. Thank you so much for joining us, Dino. We really appreciate it. You bet. My first sort of question for you is to introduce people to Divino. You guys were open only for about, I think, 12 days, if, th- if that's, I think I have that right? I think it was 11 or 12, yeah. So tell us who who Divino is, what Divino is, and what your relationship is to it. Okay, well, Divino was <laughs> a um, wine and chiquetti bar, which is small plates, so sort of like tapas, only Italian style. And my partner, Jason Hoke, and I opened in the beginning of March um, after a lot of travel around the world and the opportunity of having a space available next to Wolf's, which we own, a combination of my lifelong Italian cooking family background and Jason's French-trained cooking um, and the love of wine. So we thought, what the heck, um, let's do this. So we took over the old Opus space and we completely redid it and put a kitchen in that was specifically geared towards small plates and also um, featured a lot of recipes that I grew up with that we have now kind of updated with Jason's French background influence and um, offer wine specifically from Swiss sellers here in Madison. So small family-owned vineyards around Italy. Nice. How did it go that first week and a half you were open? Well, the first week and a half was fantastic. Um, We opened for a tasting late December. We had one of our winemakers here from Italy. So we had kind of a dry run for one night and kind of worked out a few kinks, even though we didn't have a kitchen at that point. So we opened the first week of March. We were pleasantly surprised that we were an hour and a half wait our first weekend. (laughs) So while we were learning how to use the kitchen and the um, point of sale systems and our staff was figuring out how to um, maneuver the space, we had great response. Uh, I think people were really excited to have something back open on King Street where the old Opus was. We had a lot of people that have enjoyed our food over the years at our house. 
Uh, we've done pop-ups for various charities and whatnot. So it was kind of the culmination of a lot of efforts um, to actually put something together. So it went great. And we were going gangbusters, ready to enter our second week, second or third week. And then uh, we got the government order to close down. Was the whole idea to have people kind of come in and, and linger, like over small plates, like before dinner, after dinner? Like, was it meant to be a place that you go for, you know, go in, get dinner and go? Or was it sort of designed for people to stay for longer periods of time? It's actually designed as a place where people could come and hang out and enjoy small plates over the course of a couple hours. So not really a, a, a dinner type situation, but more small plates and small glasses of wines. Uh, we specialize in an ombra, which is actually in Italian, the word means shadow. And that's a small pour of wine, just shy of four ounces, that gets its um, meaning from the wine cellars in the Piazza San Marco in Venice. And what they would do is they'd pour these small glasses of wine and they'd move throughout the day their tables so that they'd be in the shadow of the tower. And people could stop and get this glass of wine. And it's kind of like a a tasting, uh, not quite a shot, but a tasting of wine, (laughs) have a a bite of wine and a little plate on their way home. So certainly not dinner, but a place where you can meet, uh, hang out with your friends and and linger for a couple hours. So, you know, that's a a concept that I think uh, we're getting used to with our diners, too, so that we allow them the time they want to try a lot of different wines and a lot of different small plates and and cocktails. How is it different now? How has the concept changed since that opening week? <laughs> well, it's interesting because um, the the space is is very um, let's say filled with filled with memories. I have a lot of photographs of my family on the walls, so um, I have pictures of my great grandparents and my great great grandparents, and I have a picture every day that I walk past of my great grandmother and grandfather with seven of their ten sons. And they actually survived the depression. And so as I was sitting here going, hmm, this is an interesting conundrum we're in, not being able to be open. I thought, you know, what would Nana have done? And I thought, well, they figured it out. So we kind of sat down and we looked at the kitchen. And again, it's not a a full kitchen. So we really had to think about what could we make here that the kitchen worked and what could we serve people that they would enjoy that would be easy for them to pick up that would maintain the integrity of the of the dish and um, people would enjoy. So I went back to those roots that, you know, of my great grandparents and we started doing things like meatball grinders and Italian sausage sandwiches and stuffed shells. And people started asking for, you know, when are you going to do pasta? When are you going to do lasagna? When are you going to do your Sicilian chicken? So suddenly we went from being small plates that had been elevated with kind of a French gastropub sensibility back to the roots of what I grew up on, which was, you know, Nana's red sauce and pasta. Yeah. And I know um, today, Lindsay, your your husband went and picked up uh, an order. What exactly did you guys have uh, today, Lindsay? Oh, my gosh. So we got the eggplant marinara, which is what I had for lunch. Um, we have stuffed shells that we can have for dinner. And then I also got a, a mix of olives and some Italian cookies. And the thing that I thought was really interesting about that menu is that there are some things that do look like they're holdovers from a kind of wine bar concept, right? Like olives and wine are like my two, the, they're my go-tos. 
when I'm, you know, having having a glass of wine in, in the afternoon or late early evening or early morning these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but so and I, I noticed that there were some things that were kind of kind of like that. But also like the take and bake seems really smart because I know for me, like ours time has less meaning than it used to. So <laughs> my husband and I have found that, you know, maybe we are eating lunch at like two o'clock and we're eating dinner at eight or nine. And we were always kind of later eaters, but it's really, it, it's been interesting and different the since the, since the pandemic closures. So it, it seems to me like on one hand, the take and bake concept works really well for that, but also it's easy to scale up. So if you have a family and you want something that is going to feed several people more than once, you can easily scale up some of these dishes that are designed to be heartier, designed to be kind of comforting family style classics. Exactly. One of the things we had to do as well was figure out how to package things. And since that wasn't part of our initial concept, there was a lot of research online and trying to find, you know, containers that were the right size, that were recycled, were recyclable, that we could get. We found a lot of local suppliers were sold out of all their to-go items. So we had to, you know, order things online and, and wait for them. So it wasn't just about getting the product ready, but it was how do we package it and how do we get it out the door? So some of the things that we've been adding now are because we've been able to get some of the containers in. We've added the bulk olives, artichoke hearts, fresh mozzarella balls, um, our eggplant relish. And now we're actually slicing some of our deli meats as well. So you could actually build an antipasti plate at home with a bottle of wine from our wine list. And like you said, you know, feed the family and do something a little bit more than just getting a prepared meal. This is not the business plan that you started with, I wouldn't imagine. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm wondering how you figure out, for example, what to charge for a bottle of wine. Because restaurants, as we know, can have 100 to 300% markup on wines because you're paying for the glassware and the table service and all of these wonderful things. Like there's reason, there's a reason that wine costs more in a restaurant than it does on the grocery store shelf or your or your liquor store shelf. But now you're doing different kinds of food. You're selling your wine in a different way. How did you figure out how to make that transition so quickly? A lot of that really came from working with our supplier and, and trying to match more of, like you said, the grocery store, the liquor store pricing, which of course is is usually um, quite a bit less than what we would sell it for in, in the restaurant because we don't have that overhead. It's really nice to just be able to pick up a bottle and slide it in a bag and twist it and hand it to somebody without having all of the, the other costs involved. So we've been able to offer many of our wines for just about, not quite half of what we sell them for, but just a little bit over that. So it's allowing people to actually try a lot of wines and we're following up with the people that do buy wine so that they can keep track of them. And when they come in that if they have favorites, they'll know how to go back to them. Yeah. So the recipes that you're making right now, are these your family recipes? Yeah. Every recipe that we have in-house is something that my grandmother or my great-grandmother did. The red sauce is something that, you know, I learned as a little as a little kid how to make by watching my nana. 
some of the things that we have on our menu are a little bit updated because like I said, Jason's background and his French influence and some of the things that we encountered while traveling around the world. But for what we're offering now, we went back to the basics. So it's basic red sauces, basic marinara, breaded and fried eggplant, the shells with the traditional fillings. So the things that I grew up on and the things that everybody seems to gravitate towards when it comes to Italian comfort food have really become the, the basis of our to-go menu. Do you see any of these items that are on the to-go menu now that you know, had to be not not improvised, but you know added given the, the constraints and everything? Um, are are some of those you think going to end up on the menu once we return to nor- normal? <laughs> uh, I'm fearing that. <laughs> like I said, the, the kitchen is very small. We have about a 200 and just shy of 225 square feet that we carved out of the old cousin space that's behind where we are. And we don't even actually have a range. We have um, induction burners. So it's taken a lot of creativity to figure out how to make some of these things. And um, it works. And I think the, the, I think, what are we now, four weeks of being closed? We've perfected a lot of it that I don't think we would have been able to do had we been open trying to do it. So what we'll probably do is a special. So maybe one night a week or one of the things we talked about early on was opening on Sundays for family meals. So we might not put these things on the menu every day, but we will certainly figure out a way to incorporate them into our offerings for folks when they come in, whether it be on a special evening or a day that we're not typically open. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. One of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you is because you were so new when this whole thing went down. So how are you staying or getting engaged with diners? Well, my background before the restaurant and the bar um, is advertising, marketing, and design. So I've had a, a design firm that worked in you know, various mediums for probably 25 years. So I have a pretty strong background there in marketing. Um, I'm working with somebody who does my social media, and we're very strong there and very present there. Um, we had a probably about 250 guests that visited us in the time we were open and we did comment cards. So we had an an active email list that we've been promoting. Um, We did a little bit of advertising with a few publications right when we opened. So I think that helped as well. And we're very active with the um, BID, the Downtown Madison group, and they've been helping us with some of the promotion as well. And then just signs out on the street and word of mouth and constant posting of food that I'm cooking and saying, doesn't that look good? And most people agree and then they find (laughs) us in order that way. It's interesting in part because I feel like with a restaurant that's been open longer, people have had more time to have expectations. And something you often hear from restaurateurs is they'll be like, yeah, man, I'd love to stop making the sexy fries, but I can't because I established them and people are obsessed. So I will have to make them for the rest of my life kind of thing, you know, (laughs) whereas Divino was new enough and it sounds like nimble enough to be able to make this shift when it had to be made. Yeah, I think I think like you said, you know, we weren't really locked into anything yet. So we were still trying some things. And even after the first 
week or so of being open, we made some changes and some tweaks to things on the menu and listened to what Diner said and watched how people were interacting with different dishes. So it's given us an opportunity to really come in and, and fine tune and hone the offering. And then, like I said, you know, going back to the traditional things that I grew up on, you know, everybody loves a meatball grinder on a, on a good roll with hot peppers and melted provolone cheese. You can't beat it. So it's probably not the most, um, you know, sophisticated food that's out on, on the block right now, but it's something that everybody loves to get behind and, and enjoys, you know? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, right now is definitely the time for everyone to kind of lean into some comfort foods. So exactly. <laughs> that is so true. Um, now you mentioned that, you know, you had to order a bunch of, you know, to go things and Madison, you know, shops were, were sold out. Were there any other, you know, virus related uh, hurdles that you had to, to take on that you didn't see coming to, to make all this happen? Yeah, work, working with suppliers has been been challenging because what was available the week before things closed changed drastically. Our seafood, for example, w- which we were getting fresh, basically disappeared. So, you know, that was a very um, easy thing to leave off the offerings because we couldn't get that anymore. Yesterday, I was looking for eggplants and our supplier didn't have them. Mm. So, you know, there's a little bit of a lag time with what um, what's available. So I have to try to order enough in advance so that I can get it um, in time for the day that I offer it, but also just adapting to what is available. And and that's a really interesting concept where um, my other great grandmother, uh, my Nana Papina, which was, uh, she lived to 102, Mm -hmm. um, was known for being, um, walking on the side of the road when wild asparagus was growing and cutting it as it was coming up and cutting dandelions off the highway and whatnot. Hmm. So, you know, adapting based on what was available and what was fresh. So it's nothing that I don't have a base for from my my upbringing and my experience in terms of what's available today, what can I cook, um, which is a little bit different than having a menu where every week you have the same order and the same product coming in. So that's been that's been fun. Um, and then also working alone is very interesting. I, I come in and do most of the work by myself. Um, I have one person that comes in through a different door and works in the prep kitchen and does that work and then leaves. So the interaction and the social side of the business, which is really why I have um, the bar and the restaurant are gone. So it's that's a different way of, of putting food on the table and not actually being there for people to see their reaction and to share in the experience. Yeah. Is that why you're doing just three times a week because it's just you and one other person? Um, that and also um, just not wanting to go overboard with it. Uh, it gives me a chance to sort of catch my breath and look what's available. And then we're making everything daily. So um, sometimes we run out of things. You know, it is a small kitchen, so I don't have the luxury of making 50 or 60 orders of something. So just making what I can get and what we can move through in a, in a um, service has been a pretty good way to do it. Plus, you know, I, I have friends who talk about being bored or not knowing what to do with their time or getting caught up on all their projects while they're at home. And I've, I've yet to do any of that. I started cleaning out drawers one day and um, my new puppy loves that the socks are still in a pile on the floor. So I haven't really had a chance <laughs> to uh, to catch up on all those projects at home that I should be doing while we're closed because we're really not. So um, we did add Saturday night, which is a dinner special where people are picking up a complete dinner. 
Um, and that happened again after a lot of people saying, when are you going to do that? So um, we, we just started last Saturday with our Sicilian chicken, which was uh, roast chicken, potatoes, garlic, artichoke hearts and mushrooms served with crostini and a bottle of wine. Um, this week we're doing actual lasagna and tiramisu bread and wine so we've expanded a little bit for saturday night so folks could have kind of a we're calling it our date night out in oh i love it i i have to i have to ask you something though did did you say puppy yes yeah we um <laughs> decided we have a <laughs> jason is a akc judge and travels around the world which is really where a lot of our our travel experiences came from um judging dog shows and the we have a whippet who's a little almost 12 years old and we decided we should get a puppy about two weeks before we opened the restaurant oh my god so on top of everything else <laughs> we have a uh, an 11 year old whippet and now a three-month-old whippet so that's keeping us really busy at home as well, which is kind of fun. <laughs> I seem to remember that that's a dog with a lot of energy. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> um, and he's keeping the older dog moving, which is great. So, uh, And keeping these old dogs moving, too. <laughs> yeah. That's good. One thing I was interested in, um, so when you first opened, I mean, you had like a full staff. And we we had on someone a couple of weeks ago uh, who organized the Madison Area Service Industry Support Group on Facebook. And I was wondering, like, how is your restaurant handling that, you know, having to reduce staff and then hopefully bring people back on once things ramp back up? How is that kind of working right now from from your end? Right. We had we had a full staff and most of them worked probably less than five days in the in the period because we were kind of cycling through and training and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So um, basically, you know, when we closed, everybody retreated and um, we're hoping that they'll still be there in and ready to come back and, and start fresh. I'm working on um, some videos right now with our bar manager um, showcasing our house made limoncello and we're going to do a, a video and a podcast where we show people how to make our signature martinis and things like that. So I'm trying to think of creative ways now to bring some of the staff back into the fold. Um, I offered them the opportunity to do deliveries and whatnot and, um, you know, just trying to keep them present in the, um, in the business and, and also ready to come back once we reopen. Yeah. And I know there's been a bunch of, um, you know, talk about like small business loans and things and, you know, people having to make, you know, dozens of phone calls to, you know, get in. Is that something that you have, have had to experience? Well, what I experienced was that we're not eligible because we weren't open in time and didn't have any payroll. So um, that happened very fast to find out that you had to be open. First, it was January of 2020 and then it was February of 2020. So we weren't eligible for any of, of the PPP small business loans and trying to navigate the other one, which I think is the disaster, whatever, whatever, um, <laughs> yeah. became a nightmare where I had to decide if I wanted to stay home and try to figure that out based on not having any history with the business or if I wanted to just open the business and um, do what I've been doing. So I chose the latter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a horrible you know, choice to have to make. There are so many negotiations like that these days where it's like, I I would love to know if I got a credit for that flight that I had scheduled, but how long am I willing to be on the phone with American Airlines, you know? Like how what is it worth to you, right? That you'd have to spend. Right. I know um, you know, I've been 
watching Jason as he's been canceling trips because he's, like I said, judges around the world. And I think he was supposed to be in Ireland last week and Sweden and a couple of other places and just trying to get the credits from various airlines. And of course, everybody wants to give them a credit versus and towards future travel versus an actual credit to your charge card. And, um, you know, these are shows that won't be rescheduled. So I watched him maneuver that for the last couple of weeks. And like I said, it was easier for me to come here and make spaghetti sauce than to deal with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do you have, even if you're not fully confirmed on it. Do you have a timeline in your head for how long you think what you're doing now is sustainable? I'm thinking at least another month. You know, I've been watching all of this reopening and this and that. And, you know, I'm, I'm serving people out front with my N95 mask on and my rubber gloves on. And, and I think I don't want to open the restaurant for customers inside like that you know, you open the door and then you realize you have to take the gloves off or I took my mask off and there was spaghetti sauce on the inside of it today. So I said, well, obviously I've contaminated that. (laughs) (laughs) So there are challenges, just simple logistic challenges to trying to cook with some of this on. Gloves are pretty easy, but the mask makes it hard. Um, I, I have a big beard, so the mask and the beard and then my glasses are you know, things are falling where they shouldn't be and my glasses are fogging up and I can't breathe because I've got hair in my nose from it being tucked under the mask. So <laughs> some of those challenges are worse than the, uh, probably than the SBA loan. <laughs> yeah. What do you wish people knew about Davino, about what you're doing right now that, that they don't know? Hmm. I guess I wish that people knew that really the reason we're doing it is just to provide good food and a connection to not only the business, but to my history and the things that I shared with my family. So that even in these times of, you know, uh, craziness, you can still sit down and have a meal with with family and enjoy food and enjoy um, a sense of place and history. Yeah. And even if people can't come in and see the family photos, they can, you know, it's, it's in the flavor. It's in the, it's in the meatballs. It's in the sauce. Right. Exactly. Well, Dino, thank you for, for doing what you're doing. Thank you for the delicious eggplant marinara I had for lunch. <laughs> one of my favorites. <laughs> I was uh, making those this morning. And, you know, one of the things when my Nana would cook and it was early in the morning, we always got a taste. So sitting down with a little bit of sauce and a meatball and a piece of bread at eight o'clock in the morning is not an unusual thing. But this morning I looked at that eggplant marinara and I thought, hmm, that'd be really good for breakfast. But I opted for coffee and a cookie. So (laughs) Nice. Can you remind people where they can find you? We are at 116 King Street, across the street from the Majestic Theater. And if you go to either our Facebook or Instagram page, there's a direct link to Toast where you can order online Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. Nice. Well, thank you very much. You bet. Thank you. This has been The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times and recorded in the semi-comfort of our own homes. Our theme music was composed by Patrick Christians. The show was edited by Natalie Yar. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to send your quarantine cooking club adventures to lchristians at madison.com. Lindsay and I are both on Twitter and Instagram, so feel free to track us down there. 
You can like our podcast page on Facebook, and be sure to check out captimes.com for more local food and drink news, as well as continuing coverage of the coronavirus. I'm Lindsay Christians, food editor of the Cap Times. And I'm Chris Lay, food eater and pasta taken baker. Our wish for you this week is a wedge of creamy Taleggio cheese and crusty French baguette. Cheers. Cheers. That works for me. Locked and loaded. Bake it up. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.